Let's hold that up. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus today, speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. I look at your neighbor and say, mm, 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 mm. I look back at him and say, I love you. The king who had it all. <clears throat> Solomon was his name. Son of David and Bathsheba. Watch out. When a plane, airplane, goes down. And we've followed sometimes there early on. It was every moment it seemed like on every news channel. They were talking about the Malaysian flight, 370 I think it was. Couldn't find it, didn't know where it was, listening for the pings. But what, what they're most interested in finding beyond the plane, fragments, is what? Black box. You hear them talk about that all the time. Because if they can find the black box, it hopefully will be a way they can come up with answers. What happened? When it happened? What was going on? Has data in it that can tell the whole story. I contend that we all have black boxes in our life. There's a box that has all the information that you and I have done, good and bad, ugly. And Solomon had a black box. And we're going to do something today. We're going to look in that box. And we're going to gain some great knowledge about life from Solomon's black box. So I welcome you today as we continue week 13 of our series of the story, and all of those are posted online, uh, so if you sit back and listen to those that you've missed, get caught up. If you really have a hard time sleeping at night, turn those on, should take care of that for you. And uh, we're going to spend some time today in 1 Kings chapter 3, so in those Bibles or electronic devices that you held up, turn to 1 Kings 3, and while you're doing that, I'm going to give you a little review of kind of where we are till now through these uh, first 12 weeks of our study. Uh, God called Abraham to become the father of the nation of Israel. The mission of Israel was to point other nations, all peoples, to God. Because God wants all people to come back to Him. He gave Israel a land and God allowed them to have kings. And the first king was Saul, who failed to represent God. God then chose David as king. David did not represent God well. He sinned greatly. He repented, captured the heart of a gracious God who's available to everyone. And in 1 Kings chapter 1, 
We see that David is old and he's dying and he's passing the leadership baton to his son Solomon. Gives him some great advice, chapter 1 and chapter 2. But in Solomon's black box, we'll find some good things, some bad things, just like if we looked in our box. Any of you ever looked in somebody's black box? Don't ask. (laughs) Don't answer that. Because see, sometimes you need to look in your own black box. Don't worry about somebody else. Take a look in your box. Because on judgment day, guess what? They can't help you. On judgment day, when you stand before Almighty God, He's going to look in whose box? I'm going to look in Big T's box. God is. He's not going to look in my box. Amen? He's going to look in Big T's box. He's going to look in Brother Bryant's box. Amen? He'll look in Geneva's box and it'll be so pure and clean. Mm -mm -mm. Oh, I've heard stories. She's revealed some of the black box. But here's what I do know. She found him. And that took care of it. Wait a minute, that's the end of the sermon. Okay, let's get on back over here. First thing that we find out about Solomon, looking at it's some good things. Solomon took off well by asking God for wisdom. He asked God for wisdom. God invited Solomon to ask for anything. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 and 9. Uh, let's take a look at those verses. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to uh, Solomon in a dream. At night, God said, ask, what should I give you? Down to verse 9. So give your servant an obedient heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now I'm not sure if I would have asked for wisdom. Especially if I was a young man. I'd want something a whole lot less important. But as somebody said in Sunday school today, The older I get, the more wisdom sounds good. (laughs) But Solomon's wisdom was tested. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16 through 28, we see the story of two women. And they had this child that they both were claiming was theirs. And so Solomon, in his great wisdom, you know the story, he decided to cut the baby in two. And to give each mom a piece of the baby. Now what did he know that we didn't know? He knew that the real mother would never let harm come to that baby. And so the the first mother said, absolutely. And the second one said, oh, no, 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 no. Let her have that baby. So Solomon then gave that baby to the second because he knew that had to be the mother of that child. Now I don't know about you, but I've seen mothers around children. You don't hurt them in front of their mothers. Not if you're a smart man. If you're a baseball coach and you yell at a child, guess who's going to yell back at you? That child's mother. So you don't, here's the key, don't yell at those kids. And if you beat them with a bat, when you come out of the field, guess who's going to hit you with a bat? That mother. My son's. Uh, umpired ball games. Corey used to tell me all the time, he said, Dad, I had this mom. It was never, Dad, I had this dad. It's always, I had this mom who was ready to come over the fence at me. 
Here's some referees. They know what I'm talking about. Dads don't usually do it, right? See, mamas, they come after you because if you're messing with their babies, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. I mean, I've watched some of these big old football players down here at Jinx High School. Their mothers are maybe four foot five if, if they're, you know, 100 pounds if they're dripping wet. Man, you'd think that they were gladiators or something, the way they stand up for their kids. It's amazing. But Solomon, at this point, used some great wisdom. And in Psalms, he wrote that down. In Song of Solomon, he writes it from his youth about love and intimacy. In Proverbs, he wrote about in his midlife, like a dad to a son, inspired observations about how life works in general. And then in Ecclesiastes, later in, in his life, he, he looked back on his life reflectively. And if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, you think, man, this is the most depressing book in the world. Stay with it to the end, though. But in his black box, we find another good thing. Number two, Solomon was at a cruising altitude. When he built the temple. In chapters 5 through 8, Solomon dedicates the temple to God. And God made him several promises. He said, if you will do what I'm asking you to do, Israel will experience incredible favor. And oh, they did. They had peace. They had all the things that God had promised they would have. Because Solomon did what God had asked him to do. And when he rebuilt that temple and dedicated it, it brought the golden era to the Israeli community. It's amazing. Number three thing we learn. Now, let's go to the bad side of the black box. Solomon began, number three, a dangerous descent through his pursuit of pleasure. Solomon is known for pursuing happiness. He was using all of his resources to please himself. Now, if you had everything that you could possibly attain, man, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? You ever you ever watch some of these shows on HGTV or something where they talk about they show all these million dollar listings and all that kind of stuff? Man, how do people live in a house that has eight bathrooms? I, I don't get it. You can only use one at a time. So if you rotate the eight, you never have to clean the bathrooms, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got more rooms in there. They've got cave rooms. They've got up, upstairs rooms. They've got attic rooms. They've got indoor swimming pool. You jump in the pool indoor, swim under the wall to go out. It's, it's amazing. Well, you know, Solomon would have had that in the palaces. Wow. And when you define success in our American culture, what does it look like? Well, in a nutshell, we all say we want to be happy. And if I had a whole lot of money, I'd be really happy. How many of you would say amen? If I just had a whole lot of money, if I had a boatload of money, I would be happy. None of you raised your hand. That that must be because you've got a bunch of money and you're not happy. See, money is not going to create the happiness, is it? Money does not create problems either. It's the love of money that creates problems. Go out to the casino. You're going to see people loving money while they're giving it away to the Indian tribes all over Oklahoma. 
Our little church has experienced that itself in a sad, sad way. In fact, if you were to ask parents, what do you want for your kids in life? You want them to be happy, don't you? You want them to be happy. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Just want to be happy. But how do we get that? Well, if you were Solomon, you tried it through laughter. I'm sure he had people coming in telling him stories and jokes to get him laughing. Uh, Sam repeated that one from Sunday school. Man, that's a pretty good one, isn't it? God said he's busy, so he sent me. <laughs> I bet that Marine could deck that guy. I think he tried drinking and partying. Oh, that's, a, that's, that's good stuff, isn't it? Kids think they're fooling everybody when they go drinking and partying. Proms, Jinx, Union, Broken Arrow all had proms last night. Man, that's the big threesome. I'm sure there wasn't any drinking going on at those things. Not all those good Christian kids. They wouldn't be doing that. Are you? I bet they. I bet they broke out in Bible studies. <laughs> they thought projects. Projects will bring happiness, won't it? If I build this big enough, pretty enough. Wow! I got it. That'd be awesome. How about possessions? Man, I don't only want a boat. I want a boat. You know what a boat is, don't you? That's a big old boat. <laughs> I've seen them at, those, uh, at the boat show. Any of you go out to those things? They have a boat show. I know Parmenter goes out. He lives out there during that time. And they, they'll have a yacht, won't they? Things over a million, like $1.6 million. You got to, I mean, it takes two days to climb up inside the thing. And they've got it decked out. I mean, they've got the best Corinthian leathers and the woods and all. I don't want to throw that in a Oklahoma lake. Where are you going to keep it in? A Grand Lake? Why? Because they're all up there. Man, now that's a boat. I was lucky just getting one of them tin things. It had a little motor on the back, you know. And it, it would ride like this because I was in it. <laughs> so. <laughs> Where are you going? I don't know. Can't see. <laughs> Preacher, let me drive. You sit in the front. Well, all of a sudden, it just take off. Yeah, the motor handled everything. <laughs> Wasn't, well, never mind. Let's move on. Money. Solomon had more money than anybody. Because if you got money, you got stuff. Amen. You got all kinds of friends if you got money till the money runs out. And guess what? The friends leave too. And then Solomon tried the silliest thing to pursue happiness. He married not one, not two, 700, 700 women. So he writes in Proverbs about a nagging wife. I wonder how he knew all that. Well, then he had 300 concubines on top of that. This boy had plenty of women in his life. I've got one that's five foot tall if I stretch her on a rack. And I ain't messing with her. I don't want another one. I'm having enough trouble keeping her under control. Well, obviously I can't fool you, can I? I can see the eyes rolling now. 
And I'll be sleeping outside for the next few days. But you know what? If Solomon just would have asked me, I could have told him about this multiple wives and marriage thing. <laughs> but I don't, he didn't want my opinion. And in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, King Solomon loved many foreign women, plural, in addition to Pharaoh's daughter. And the emphasis there is on women, foreign women. How many of you guys have had your mothers and dads tell you, don't go out with that girl? And what would you do? Went out with that girl. And what happened? You got in trouble. Because that girl wasn't the best girl for you. Or, they were trying to get you to not hurt that girl. <laughs> they didn't want you to take her out because you're going to mess her up. That's what her mom and dad are saying. Don't go out with that boy. But look in verse 2. Verse 2. Nevertheless. In, in some translations it puts the word nevertheless. So he married all these foreign women. Nevertheless, he didn't care over the consequences. And that's the way you and I are. We begin to justify our behavior based on what we want, not necessarily what God has commanded us to do. Because we tell us, nevertheless, I'm going to go ahead and go through it anyway. Oh, He'll forgive me. He's a loving, gracious God. And while He is, and yes, He, he does do that, we should consider the damage that will be done if we follow through on the sin. Because there's always damage that comes from sin. It has a wave effect on you <laughs> and on those around you. You see, what was culturally acceptable was not God-approved. Just because the culture says it's okay does not mean God says it's okay. And God had warned the Israelites to not marry people from other nations because it could lead them to worship foreign gods. And Solomon thought he knew better than God when it comes to marriage, love, and sex. Which takes us to the fourth piece of his black box. He entered a downward spiral when he rejected God's direction. Solomon thought he knew better than God when it came to marriage. How many of you men have ever had to put together something? Not ladies, men. How many of you got men have had to put together something? When you opened the box, was there a piece of paper or a booklet in there that said instructions? And what's the first thing we do? No, oh, we don't need that. <laughs> Throw it away. Throw it away. Now, I admire Gary Kasdan's ability to, to fix things and build things and all that. I do. I admire that. But I saw him this week looking at instructions. I thought, no, wait a minute. Start step <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't like that, that it started at step seven. And he threw it to me and he said, can you find where these other six are? I said, Brother Gary, they're not there. He said, that's what I was afraid of. But I figure if Gary, being the builder he is, needs to look at instructions, maybe I do. So here's how I've solved the problem. When I buy something that needs to be put together, I hire Gary to come and do it. Because <laughs> it works a lot better than if I try to do it. But men are that way, aren't we? 
We have a tendency to be that way. We'll just look at it. And we say, oh, we don't need instructions. I mean, after all, look at the picture of those, those bolts. And that's not even long enough. Ah, that's too long. Ah, we don't need that. And you get through and you've got these 10 or 15 bolts left. And you go, I wonder what those are for. That doesn't matter. You throw them in a the corner and you don't worry about it. <laughs> we skip steps. Disagree with directions. Especially when we're driving. And often we've done the same things with God's direction on love, sex, and marriage. We have directions from God. It's how I, how I created it, He would say. Here's how it works, He would say. And we would say, well, you know, I can do this. If we just skip these steps. God, I know better. I know better. After I live now in the 21st century, all that stuff you wrote about is so old, so archaic, so ancient. It doesn't apply to us today. There's no way in the world it's going to make any sense. You just don't know, God. That was okay for my mom and my dad and my grandparents, but not today. Are you kidding me? That's how we think. So Solomon does with marriage... What so many of us do. He married women from other countries. It wasn't an ethnicity problem. It was an idolatry problem. These women didn't worship the God of Solomon. But they worshipped other gods. And eventually they turned Solomon's heart away from God. Because they pouted. And they teared up. And they wanted their God there that they could worship. And so you know what happened. He would build temples to those gods to keep those wives happy. And he had a whole bunch of them. Because he knew better. In the New Testament it says that we shouldn't be unequally yoked. And of course preachers have said for years, and we've preached for years, and I've preached for years, that that deals with who you're dating and who you eventually are going to marry. But I also believe, because see, when we're doing that and we're trying to talk to you about it, usually you will say, if they're not spiritual people, male or female, you will say, well, I just believe God can change them and I'm going to be the person that leads them to that change. On three. One, two, three. Ha! Ready? On three. One, two, three. Oh, come on. One, two, three. Yeah, you know better. You're hoping they'll be interested in spiritual things. You're hoping and praying they'll go to church with you. You're hoping and praying that they'll want you to raise the children that you have in the Lord and teach them the Bible. Thing. You're hoping. Another way Solomon disobeys God and does it his own way is through the idea of polygamy. God's plan was set in place in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24... It says, for this reason, a man, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall be one flesh. If you define the word wife, it's female. Male and female. God set it up. God put the plan in motion. Polygamy is not really the issue. It became the problem. Because Solomon went against God's direction. Much like you and I in our culture go against God's direction. And we do it in two ways. The first one is we cohabitate. 
We cohabitate. Hebrews 13, 4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornication and adulterers, God will judge. Do you miss anything in that verse? It's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. And often, often, cohabitation is done for what they believe are good reasons. Well, we don't want this to end in divorce, so we're just going to live together. We're going to try it out. It's like riding a bicycle. You're going to fall off the bicycle when you first get started, right? But then you're going to learn how to wobble that thing and get it going, and pretty soon, whoo, man, you're ready to go. You're going down the streets. You're going down hills. You're going up hills. Not so much fun, but going down hills. You're loving it. You're going fast. Ah, ah, ah. And if you fall off, it's no big deal. You get up, you brush yourself off. That's the way we think about marriage. We'll just try it out. Just go and try it out. I'm going to play house. Try it out. It, it's really a, a preparing ground for marriage. It really is. So we say. How about Proverbs 14, 12? There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of, what does it say? <laughs> Makes sense to us. Seems like the right thing. Statistics, though, tell a different story. It's not popular, but we say we do it because we love each other. And after all, I need somebody in my life. So we cohabitate. We don't think about the influence that it makes on children, parents, siblings. Another area in our culture that we compromise in is in same-sex marriage. Been in the news... It's in the news all the time. It's amazing to me that we were preached and preached and preached to about tolerance until it has to come back to their side. <laughs> See, the point is, is that marriage is God's idea. He created it. He defined it. And in Genesis 2, it was a man and a woman. We don't own it. God invented it. And we're not to reinvent it. Obey God. Do what God says. Now the church struggles with teaching this. We do. It's hard because we don't want to be a lone voice out there. The only church that talks like this. We don't want to be politically incorrect. We don't want to be offensive. Well, I want you to know something. Every sermon I put together, every lesson I write, every time I'm in devotion, reading in the Bible, God's Word offends me. He tells me stuff I'm not supposed to be doing. That I find myself doing. And I don't like it. So you know what I do? I just tear those pages out. I don't read them anymore. If I find a page... It's not... So now I have a Bible that has a cover and a back and you open it up and there ain't nothing else in there. Because nearly everything I've read in there offends me. So I'm going to tear it out. I'm not going to read it anymore. Well, wow, judgmental God that He is. I went to my annual physical last week. Go in. First thing the doctor says is, well, I see the weight's creep, creeping back up. Don't tell me, hey, how you doing? Looking good today. Hi, buddy. No. Well, weight's creeping up. Okay. i got to pay you to slap me around. He said, well, your blood pressure is better. That's because I'm taking so much medicine. That's because my 
White's creeping up. <laughs> but you know what? Really, all he does is he care about me. He's been my doctor for a long time. He just cares about me. He wants me to be healthy, right? Yeah, that's it. It's his job to kind of work me over. Amen? Yeah. But it's hard for us to talk about it in the church because we don't want to be labeled gay bashers or homophobes. Well, that's not Christian. That doesn't represent our Savior. That doesn't represent our church. Because see, Jesus told the truth. But He always did it with love and with grace. I heard John Hagee say several years ago, he said, if homosexuality is what God ordained, he said, and he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology for the urban renewal plan that he placed upon those two cities. Now you think about that. Truth is, it's hard to talk about cohabitation and same-sex marriage because we're not doing such a good job in our own marriages. From the aspect of being godly husbands and godly wives, it's, it's hard to point out the dust in somebody else's eye when we've got this log coming out of our own. It's hard, it's awkward to talk about. But some of you, you would say, why didn't somebody tell me about this? I wish I could have followed directions. I, I, I could have saved myself so much heartache. And folks, when somebody tries to talk to you, would you please put your listening ears on? Just at least give them an opportunity to maybe say what they need to say. You, don't, you, you may not follow what they say, but at least listen. Filter it. Think about it. Pray about it. See, bring Christ into it. It's always easier when the directions have pictures. I've always felt that way. If I'm going to put something together, I want a picture of it. Amen? That way I can see better. Oh, it's supposed to look like that, not like that. Yeah. And so the Bible gives us a good picture. Solomon didn't follow God's direction because he thought he knew better than God. And what God asked him to do went against what he felt was right. And that's what God asked us to do. He simply says, would you trust and obey me? It's going to get rougher. It's going to get tougher. And so you Christians better get ready. We Christians better get ready. And we better buck up. And we better understand that the road's going to get rocky. Don't believe that it's all going to be bed and roses. It is not. You know why I know that? Because the Bible says that. The Bible says that. I'm not trying to be doom and gloom here to you. I'm just simply saying the end is coming. The end is coming. If Jesus would return today, whoo, glory, hallelujah. That, that solved a lot of problems for me. The Lord would come back today. Amen? I wouldn't have to have knee surgery. I'd get an instant new knee. <laughs> I could have watermelon. No seeds. No seeds. My whole diet would be watermelon, 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 watermelon. And butter brickle ice cream go on top of the watermelon. See, I've done forgot about butter brickle. Oh, Lord, I need to repent now. My thoughts are going crazy. But let's get to the end of the story because that's where it's most fun. Solomon says something profound in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Is that not in there? Would you find it real quick in, in the Scripture part and put it up? I apologize, I didn't have that in there. 
Ecclesiastes 12.13. Y'all give us just a moment to get that thrown up for you because it's very, very important that we see. It's the tail end of, of Ecclesiastes. He's been talking about his life, showing reflection as an older guy, and now he's, he's ready to uh, uh, be done. And so am I. So give me about five more minutes. I promise you I am. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is fear God and keep His commands because this is for all humanity. So it's all said and done. You're wise if you'll keep God's commands. So Solomon is really saying, I should have followed the directions. I should have done things God's way. You see, I thought the purpose of my life was to be happy, but the purpose of my life was actually to follow God. I thought the purpose of my life was to follow my feelings. Really, the purpose of my life is to put trust in Almighty God. So Solomon, who started out strong, ends poorly. And it's a warning to us, because Solomon was the wisest man who lived ever, and yet he was enticed away from God. The Bible says that Solomon served God half-heartedly, because Solomon's heart was divided, thus dividing the kingdom. 1 Kings 11 9 through 11. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from Yahweh, the God of Israel, who had appealed to him uh, twice. And it's too far away for me to read with my eyes good and bad. But the point is, I wanted you to get that first part of that. He had turned his heart away from Yahweh, from Almighty God. And the point of all these stories that we're reading in, in, in our series of the story and the point and to point out all the things that we're doing wrong is not really what we're supposed to do. The purpose of these stories is to point to us the fact that we need a Savior. Because we're all sinners. We all need a Savior. And none of us are worse a sinner than anybody else. I don't care what sin it is you've got in your life, you're no worse than anybody else. If you are a murderer or a liar, you're in the same position with God. If you lie to your parents or rob a store, you're in the same position with God. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't really matter the severity of the sin. It matters about the sin because it's disobedience to God. So would you consider in your life today your need for a Savior? And let's pray together as we close. God, I want to ask you today, to do a mighty work in each of us, to, to really touch us, move us, prod us. Use your finger and stir us with your Holy Spirit. God, would we say, I want to follow your direction. I want to repent of my sin. I want to ask forgiveness. I want to commit to following you. God, would we do that? Or are we going to make the same decision we make every Sunday and say, ah, not today, not today. There is an urgency, Lord, an urgency. When you look at the, on the world's canvas, we see your word coming true more and more and more every day. God, it's time for God's people, for your people to rise up, for your people to stand up, for your people to speak up. But more than anything, God, we're not going to stand, we're not going to speak unless we've surrendered to you.
So, Father, there may be somebody in this room that needs to say, Lord, I want you to be my master and savior. There may be somebody in this room that says, I'd like to have this in my church home. There may be somebody in this room that says, you know, preacher, I just need some prayer. I'm going through some things. And we don't even need to know what it is because you already know, Lord. But would they let us know? Would they acknowledge the fact that they want prayer? And God, would they let us pray over them? Whatever decision, Lord, whatever it is that they have a need in their life, would you have them respond in Jesus' name? Amen.